Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, how government agencies are embracing virtual reality. Once you learn the ropes initially, the government's more than willing to throw a lot of money at you to seed fund your initial technology to the point where it can mature enough to where you can actually take it to other markets. There's an emerging technology trend that's poised to cross over from curiosity to business tool. That's virtual reality, a technology that allows someone to enter an artificial world and be immersed in the experience. While many think of this as being largely something that is of interest only to computer gamers or as an entertainment medium, our next guest company is using virtual reality to solve real business problems. Jason Starkey, co-founder of Jedberg, is here to tell us about how his company is using virtual reality to connect training instructors and students around the world for both national security and commercial customers. Let's learn a bit about why virtual reality is not just for gamers anymore. Jason, thanks for joining us. Hey, Jonathan. Happy, happy to be here. Well, I assume that the place we should begin is what exactly is virtual reality? So virtual reality has actually been around a very long time. It started in the 1800s where they created these stereoscopic devices that would allow the user to see two separate like two-dimensional objects at the same time, one for the left eye, one for the right eye. And what it does is just creates this, this illusion of depth for the, for the user. So that same fundamental technology is, has been around a long time. Today, it's gone a lot more momentum because now we're able to put computer animated images in front of the, those two separate two-dimensional spaces now. So we have computer animation to play with it now today. And effectively, my understanding is what you're doing is you're using it to create basically virtual environments that look exactly like somebody would experience in, in, in the field. Tell me a bit more about how uh, uh, Jedberg, I mean, how does a virtual reality environment make, make training more effective, for example? So the best training environment is in the actual live environment, overseas, in-country. That is what will always be the best place to train. But we don't always have the luxury of training in that environment for obvious reasons. You can't, you know, you lack surprise. Um, it's dangerous to train there and it costs money and it takes time away too to travel to that location. And so what VR is doing is it's just placing that real environment with, with a virtual environment. So it gives the user or the trainee a new place to kind of operate and train in a digital environment um, rather than going to the actual live environment. I know that Facebook and others are talking about or plan on using virtual reality to help friends hang out. How, how is your business different from that? So Facebook has bought Oculus a few years ago, and they made a big play on VR being a commercial play. Um, it hasn't gotten the momentum that Facebook and a lot of other investors had hoped. Where it has gotten momentum, though, it just hasn't gotten as much attention is in the enterprise space. So virtual reality is actually taking off tremendously among enterprise customers. And that is, that's, that's our play area. I mean, we consider the government as an enterprise customer. And so within the government, they've been leading user of technologies forever. I mean, everything has come and sprung out of the government, uh, the Internet begun as, as ARPANET a long time ago. And again, the government is investing in these new innovative technologies for itself that I think will be used for commercial space down the road. You served, and I think that's an important point because um, because you served, a lot of your initial customers are, are people like, like yourself. How how does um, – well, give us an example of how Jedberg is using virtual reality right now to help, peop, uh, help our, our soldiers in, in the field. 
So I was a Green Beret for about 10 years. Uh, I still serve in a National Guard capacity, and it is mandatory for Green Berets to learn a foreign language. And there are certain tasks that we have to do um, with that foreign language. For example, you have to be able to uh, describe a person. You have to do these fundamental practical skills that that real that that operator will use in real life downrange. And so learning language in the military for 10 years, it was very difficult. It's difficult for a lot of people. And so we saw a pain point that we could tap into by using VR. We could augment and enhance the current language learning infrastructure that is within the military. So right now they have uh, a very robust language learning infrastructure in the United States government, whether it's the intelligence community, law enforcement, military, they have a language learning school with real instructors, and you go in that classroom and learn with that instructor. The problem is for a lot of military people that it's boring to sit in a classroom for 12 hours a day, eight hours a day. And so what we're doing is just giving them, the instructor and the student, a virtual environment to rehearse those same uh, learning objectives that they're learning in the classroom in a virtual environment. Which means that the teacher can be here and the student can be someplace far, far away. Yeah, there's other value propositions too with with the product in that, you know, maybe you're deployed downrange. You still have to, you know, it's for six months at a time. You still have to be expected to speak that language when you come back, but you can't take your language instructor with you downrange or on train or on on TDY. And so, what our platform does enable the instructor and student to do is to continue to train and practice those same skills even when they're not located in the same physical location. So it seemed to me, Jason, before I let you go, your company is a great example of how our, our local tech businesses often get started, beginning with the government customer and finding commercial applications. Do you think that entrepreneurs give this path enough credit? No. I mean, it's daunting at first to think that you're going to get into government contracting and to get that contract. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of legwork. But the fact is the government is a ripe customer who's thirsting for new technologies and unique applications. And all it takes is really someone with with the good insight on how to apply those technologies for different government customers. And once you learn the ropes initially, the government's more than willing to throw a lot of money at you to seed fund your initial technology to the point where it can mature enough to where you can actually take it to other markets. So it's a great application, and I encourage anyone to follow through with. So as you look towards the future for a technology like yours, where are some of the commercial markets you think this could really be useful? Really where there's any soft skills type training. And so, for example, when a medical doctor has to communicate bad news to a patient, that medical doctor needs to have the training to establish that rapport and empathy with the patient before they deliver the bad news. They can't just come in and say, I'm sorry, you have cancer. They have to develop a relationship with the patient, say certain keywords and terms to do it with the patient first. And so this is an example of, of a way that I think our underlying technology can help other commercial markets. Well, Jason, I really appreciate you taking the time today. It was great hearing about Jedberg, and we wish you lots of success in the future. Thanks, Jonathan. It's Jason Starkey, co-founder of Jedberg. And now, non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman. You know, as the economic forecast for the next 18 months becomes a bit more foggy and a bit harder to predict, companies of all sizes and all industries are searching for capital-efficient growth. A few years ago, I wrote a book called Harvesting Intangible Assets, which basically compared 
the innovation and intrapreneurship process to farming and agrarianism. You know, planting seeds, fertile soil, fending against weather and nature's raiders like birds and deer, and the harvesting of your crops and getting them to the marketplace on a timely and efficient basis. Tens of thousands of companies have valuable embedded and tangible assets that are ripe for harvesting, ripe for bringing to the marketplace, commercializing and monetizing these assets. But first, they must be committed to a process of unlocking these intangibles to drive stakeholder value. Here's a five-step process that your company can easily follow. First, you got to build a culture of innovation. Nothing of value gets created if people are dysfunctional, disengaged, disrespected, disaligned. You've got to have people that are tossing and turning at night, not thinking about their next job, but thinking about how to improve innovation and growth at your business. Second step in the process, take inventory of the assets that you have that already exist. The costs and the R&D dollars towards the products are already invested. Many companies have what we call in the innovation world widows and orphans, projects that have been abandoned, which can be revisited for alternative markets or alternative opportunities. Third, protect your assets using intellectual property laws, patents, trademarks, copyrights, and trade secrets. Fourth, Develop business plans for the licensing, partnering, joint ventures, sale of the assets around these intellectual properties that can be deployed outside your current focus. Fifth and finally, make sure you monitor and measure results, adjust, and repeat. Tens of trillions of dollars are critical intangibles are rotting on the vine as we speak. It's important the key to our economic growth, new jobs, global competitors, etc., can lie in these assets, but only if we all commit to being intellectual capital agrarians. That was your non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman. Thank you to the Greater Washington Board of Trade. The Greater Washington Board of Trade represents leading businesses, nonprofit organizations, and academic institutions, and has helped shape the development of our region for over 130 years. Visit boardoftrade.org to learn how a Board of Trade membership can help your organization succeed in this rapidly changing marketplace. Thanks to Auric, an international law firm that focuses on technology, energy, and infrastructure finance. Clients worldwide call on it for forward-looking commercial advice on transactions, litigation, and compliance. Learn more at auric.com. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, online writer Barbara Ulrich, music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. See you next time.